listen, you don't want to sit up here talking about improvisation and everything like that. You like the guy, you like how he plays this. Let's just play a little jazz. Come on. Improvise. That's funny coming from you. How's this? I'll ask a question. No question. Jazz question. You get it right. We roll. You disappear tonight. If I walk out of here tonight, I will go so far away to be just like I was dead. And one more thing. These people in their rep here, Felix, well, you tell them I'm sorry. You tell them I had to. They laid a grant of immunity on me. I was compelled. It was either play ball or go back inside, and I'm not going back inside. Music school. He got it in music school, right? His father was a dentist. East St. Louis. Invested in agriculture, made plenty of money. He sent Miles to Juilliard School of Music, New York, 53 of Dude and a Monkey. Uh, thank you very much for downloading and streaming, however the fuck you do it. Uh, my name's Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by... Hello, Mark Foster. Yes, indeed. And uh, this should be a good one tonight, folks. I mean, um, generally, I think they're, they're usually all right, but um, we've, we've got some good, engaging stuff to get our teeth into tonight. So uh, main review is going to be Jose Padilla's uh, remake of Robocop. Uh, it had problems in production, but reviews have been not as bad as you might have expected. So we'll see what Mark and I thought of it. Uh, we'll also have our one old, one new. Talk about some trailers. I think we've probably got some Twitter questions, hopefully. Uh, I haven't looked yet, but hopefully we have. And uh, we're also going to be taking on, I think, the last part of our uh, Michael Chiminoathon. Uh, Chiminoathon. Yeah, Chiminoathon. Yeah, uh, Chiminoathon. <laughs> yes. Um, with uh, 1985's uh, Mickey Rourke starring Year of the Dragon. Uh, but yeah, at Dude and the Monkey, at Ian Loring, at Dude Foz, uh, Dude and the Monkey at gmail.com. And I will say as well, if anyone are going to see Goblin in Manchester in a couple of weeks, uh, Wednesday the 26th, 
Yes, it is indeed. Yes. Um, then let us know because Mark and Noel and myself are going. I know the uh, um, dangerous Jamie from the Gore Press Gorecast is going as well. Um, as is uh, James Lawrence, who is a friend of Noel's, I believe. Um, but yeah. So uh, anyway, if anyone is uh, going, uh, please do let us know, and we'll have some drinks and whatnot. Uh, but anything else to say, Mark? Um, no, no, nothing else on top of that. It's been a been a quiet week in the movie world, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, pretty much. I mean, um, oh, well, yeah, Philip Seymour, the, the Philip Seymour Hoffman news did break on the Sunday and then we recorded it on yeah. Monday, didn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah, no, it has been quiet. Um, so, okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's just get into it. Uh, Mark, have you seen any trailers this week? I've seen a couple, not many. I think um, they, there was a lot were exhausted last week with the the Super Bowl trailers, etc. Um, got the frizzy. I got the uh, the TV spot for the new Liam Neeson film uh, Non um, Stop, uh, and it, it looked a little bit. It, it looked like your usual sort of generic uh, Liam Neeson film that's becoming now. You know, just like it was basically taken but in the skies. Um, and then I, I saw the full trailer for it uh, before Robocop. Um, and I actually, start, as well, the trailer's gone, thought, well, you know what? This doesn't actually look that bad. It's not something that I'm going to rush to the cinema to see. With it. You know, I'm not going to be there on open day or anything like that. But it, it's certainly the, the TV spot, I think, does it no justice whatsoever. Uh, and I think, you know, from looking at it, it looks like it might be. A fun, what I call like a, a Tuesday or a Thursday movie. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I actually saw the trailer for the for the first time. I hadn't seen any material for this just because I, I hadn't not that I hadn't heard of the film. Um, but I saw the trailer in front of Robocop as well, and um, I mean, it looks silly. Um, mm. yeah, yeah, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some sort of mad twistiness to it. Um, it's totally a Netflix watch. It'll be on Netflix by the end of the year, I would imagine. And yeah. uh, I'll just watch it then, you know. Yeah, I think, I think that's that's exactly what I'm, I'm looking at it with it is that it, it's going to be, let you see, it's going to crop up on Netflix fairly fairly quickly, I would say, um, or it'll drop on Sky before the end of the year. Um, I'll, I'll catch it then, but you know, it, it looks like the sort of film we get from Liam Neeson, you know, solo now. Um, uh, the only other thing I saw was the uh, the trailer to um, for uh, probably Red Band for Sabotage, um, which still you know I still like the look of it. Still looks good. The uh, Red Band makes it look a little bit more sort of hedonistic than we saw before. A little bit more you know all over the place and a lot more like Training Day, uh, I think, than um, the previous trailer made it look like. So. Still pretty pretty pumped for that, but other than that, didn't really see a lot. I think the other trailers I saw before Robocop were the Amazing Spider-Man one that we spoke about last week, um, and the, the non-stop trailer, and just a couple of other trailers, the Winter Soldier trailer, um, which I didn't actually speak about last week, I hadn't seen it. Uh, I think it's a very good trailer. I think Robert Redford's casting seems to, for some reason, just, just his voice adds a bit more gravitas to the whole thing. Uh, I think it's well, one, one thing I think Marvel are getting really quite right is their their kind of statesman casting. Uh, they're doing very well, uh, and you know it, it, it'll be it'll be nice to see a Redford in that kind of in that kind of role. There, uh, I think it could be one of the 
bigger movies in terms of concept um, than than the other ones, hopefully. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Th- this one looks interesting. They keep on bringing up seventies parent like paranoia thrillers when they're um, when they're talking about it, and I mean, obviously, yeah. you've got you've got Redford in there, which is an obvious connection, but. Um, I, yeah, I'm I'm rather looking forward to this. I'm a little worried about the Winter Soldier himself. Like the the character design looks a little goofy to me, but um, I'm more than up for giving this uh, this one a shot. And I like just how different it looks from the original. Not like I I, I actually quite enjoyed the original, but I, I, it's it's nice that they are mixing things up a bit. And I mean, Marvel for all the franchisiness that they are, they do try and mix things up as much as they can. While still trying to keep a fairly kind of mainstream, broad point of view, and I, I think that's to be commended, really. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Mm. Is there anything anything you caught over the week? Uh, literally just the um, well, I mean, non-stop, um, but also the tra- the new trailer for Divergent, um, which is like the new Hunger Games, the new Twilight, whatever. Um, I I don't know. I've just got nothing to really say about it. Really, it looks. It just looks like a film that's set that is setting up a franchise. Like you know, just from the trailer, that it, it's setting up a bigger world that you're not going to get all of in in the first film, and it feels like it is going to be beholden to more films, which is what does annoy me about about franchise films and an increasing amount of blockbuster films these days. Uh, I'll watch it at home. There's no chance I'm going to the cinema for it, but. Um, yeah, I mean the tra- the trailer's just very bleh. Meh. Yeah, it's, it, it is incredibly bland. The trailer. Mm. But that's it. Yeah. So um, that was quick. So we'll uh, we'll move on. Uh, we, we have got uh, a fair bit of stuff to get into anyway, so it's probably best that the uh, the trailer talk section is short. Um, so let's have a clip from Jose Padilla's uh, remake of Robocop, and we will get straight into it. What's wrong with it? No, nothing. Nothing. The software sends the information to the brain. Then the brain relates this to the AI module. Yeah. A year later. And computers finished the job. Raymond. You, you wanted a man inside a machine, and that's what you've got. But the, but the human element will always be present. Fear, instinct, bias, uh, compassion. They will always interfere with the system. Okay, but damn it. I've got to give... The American people, something they can root for, something aspirational, right? They have to believe in this thing. Pretty good. That's not, I don't know how to sell. Okay. So I don't care how you do it. I'm asking you. Come on, can you help me? Just get him to do that. Him to do that. He's a machine. I know, but it's a man inside a machine. No, that's a man inside a machine. Right Right there. And, And his life depends on it, and the future of Omnicorp depends on it. So get your ass back to China and get it fixed. I don't care how you do it. Just go do it. Okay, so Robocop, directed by um, Jose Padilla, starring uh, Joel Kinnaman, Gary Oldman, Samuel L. Jackson, Michael Keaton, Jay Baruchel, Abby Cornish, um, Jackie O'Haley, uh, Jennifer L. Uh, you know, uh, lots of recognisable people, good cast. Um, so it is a remake of Robocop. Uh, Alex Murphy, this time played by Joel Kinnaman, is killed in a car bombing. Um, and he is resurrected as Robocop. Um, resurrected at the behest of Omnicorp uh, head um, whatever the fuck his name was played by uh, Michael Keaton uh, who has 
corporate interests above all else and marketing interests above all else. Uh, so it is a different film from the original. Uh, Mark, what did you think of the remake of Robocop? I think that is the first thing you've got to take from it. It is, it is a very different film to the to the original. The original was um, a very kind of... It, it was a very R-rated movie, the original. Um, and this movie, straight away, the, the, the glaring thing, I think the thing that, that caused a few worries from people is the fact that this is rated at, at 12A. And whereas 1987, you know... You, you wouldn't have been able to take a child to see Robocop. Um, but I'm quite sure we all saw it before we were 18 years old anyway. Um, but I, the first thing I was kind of struck by when I got in the cinema was I was sat down and there was a lot of sort of young kids in the in the screening. And when I say young, I mean younger than my daughter, so like, it's like seven, eight years old. And uh, in my brain it was saying, this doesn't kind of compute that I'm out to watch... Robocop, and I'm surrounded by children. Uh, and it felt weird. And I know that is, that is something that I think a lot of people have kind of tagged on to is the fact that, you know, you can't judge a film bit solely based upon its, its certification. But I think that was, it, it was something that, that I did think while I was sort of sat, sitting down watching it. Um, it's, it, it does seem very much, I mean, it, it's an interesting directing choice to have Jose Padilla there. Um, I really liked, you know, his Elite Squad movies, uh, and at points, Robocop is very reminiscent of the second Elite Squad movie. Um, Samuel Jackson you know, acting as this, you know, having this political TV show is very reminiscent of some of the one of the characters in the Elite Squad two movie, uh, and that comes across there. And on the whole, I, I actually I, I quite enjoy Robocop. It, it, it has a lot of a lot of flaws, uh, and it has um, some issues in the in the certainly I think in the 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 the, the final act. But on the whole, I I, I, I don't think I could say that it wasn't uh, for me a a success to an extent. That's interesting. I um I went to see it, and I've I've, I've been seeing a lot of tweets from people saying there were a lot of kids in their audiences. I don't think I saw one kid in mine. Um, so uh, there's that. Um, <laughs> it's just it's interesting. I mean, the, the whole the kind of kids thing, and the fact you know this is one that's actually aiming at a more family friendly audience. Yeah, I think kids would actually probably enjoy the original more, just because you know the original's got. Extreme violence it's and cartoon swearing. almost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this one, it's very, very, very talky, and there's not an awful lot of action, and there's not a lot of moments where you where you'd imagine kids would go like, "Oh, that's cool." You know, it, it's it, it's in a way, it's a more grown up film than the original. I can, yeah, I can sort of see that. There's more, um, there's more outright politics within this. Whereas the first one, there's a lot of, there's, uh, there's certainly politics there. There's a lot of hidden politics within there that are there if you scratch the surface a little bit. Mm. Um, whereas with this, they're very much, they're there and they're telling you about it and they're just screaming at you. And like you say, there's maybe not, you know, it, for, for kids, um, 
those politics they're probably not going to give a shit about. And, and I, yeah, I can see your point that there's maybe not enough moments where you go, oh man, that was cool. But yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, it makes me laugh thinking that like kids are really hyped up for Robocop and then the first five minutes is Samuel L. Jackson talking at them as a right wing Fox News host. It, it just, it, <laughs> it, it, you know, it kind of makes me laugh. Um, uh, I mean, the, the film itself, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not complete shit. Um, however, I think I liked it less than you, and I think I liked it less than a lot of people. I thought it was incredibly pedestrian, and I thought it was really shonkily put together in moments. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, a, a key point, and I will say all spoilers all the time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I've got to say, like, just the idea of the villain of the piece... Who like the the answer me this the drug dealer was he actually killed? Yeah, he was killed in that in that action scene. Yeah, Robocop shot him. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I complete. I must have blanked out for a second. It's and I mean I get and I mean the fact that the the what's ostensibly the lead bad guy the guy who actually killed Alex Murphy is killed off at the end of the second act. Um. It's kind of an interesting decision, but I thought having the third act basically be Michael Keaton trying to get one up over Robocop, there's no stakes whatsoever. You you always, always, always know Robocop's going to be all right. And yeah. the way it ends... I just kind of thought was a bit lame and quite kind of wishy-washy. Like, the original... The, the 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 way that it ends with um with the old man t- telling Dick that he's fired and then that kind of gives Robocop permission to actually gun him down, you know that's that's a wonderfully smart sick idea. Whereas with this, just like the overwhelming power of his love for his family overrides the programming, and the fact that that's a moment that happens way earlier on in the film as well where <laughs> yeah. the case like that his case and like seeing his family be sad overrides the programming then it it just structurally it it just feels like there's nothing <laughs> th- th- there's nothing to it and in fact it it is just a bit messy um I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I've got no real opinion of it. I mean, I like the fact that they are still trying to do something, like, in, in terms of having a deeper message. And I have a feeling that when Jose Padilla signed on to it, he was expecting to have more of that. Mm. Um, and I mean, there are moments like the very ending is great. Like, the way it just ends with Samuel L. Jackson, talking about how America is the strongest country in the world. You know, I, 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 and just how clanging and blunt that is, but purposefully so. It, it is a really fun, odd ending. Um, yeah, especially when you couple that with the uh, the choice of song over credit. Yeah, yeah. Which, is, which, which, I, which, 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 I, which I think just left me just leaving the cinema just, just beaming, going... Just, that was a mess, but I kind of enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's 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 
that is how, how it goes, I think. It's just, there's more than enough interesting stuff in there, kind of like ideologically, to, to sustain you. However, when it comes down to what it actually is, which in the end, the end of the day, it is an action film. It is supposed to be an action film. I think one of its, one of its big problems is, is it's got too many baddies. Oh, God, yeah. Like, pretty much every single character turns out to be a bad guy. Yeah, you know, um, with the exception of um, Alex Murphy himself, his partner and his wife and his kid, everybody else in the film is a bad guy. You know, I mean, that is everybody. Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Samuel L. Jackson, Jackie L. Haley, Jennifer L., Joe Baruchel, um, he's, you know, the rest of his entire Detroit precinct. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that are, is... all bad guys. That is ridiculous. I mean, in the end, and the thing is, you did not need that moment with the main police chief. Like, where it turns, like, it, I mean, apart from, like, him being shut down, even though, you know, they could have done that earlier if they wanted to, it just, it doesn't, I, it just it's too much it's it just too far yeah and, 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 and I mean the thing is as well the film is very long for what it is I, I mean it's 118 minutes and it felt like 118 minutes to me what I'll say for it for, for me I completely agree with you there is that it did feel it did seem to go on too long but the first hour and 10 hour and I would say first, yeah, about the first hour and ten minutes, but the first seventy minutes flew by for me. Um, and at one point, I because I, I was aware of about what time, I, you know, the film was finishing, not how long I've been going, what time the film was finishing. And at one point, I did look at my watch um, because I needed the toilet and wanted to work out whether or not I, I was going to last or whether or not I needed to run off. I looked at the watch and was like, "Holy shit!" And I knew that it finished at ten past three. I looked at the watch and thought. Christ, it's there's like only half an hour left, and, and I was surprised at that. And then when it finished, I thought that that last sort of forty minutes that really that dragged. You know, it 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 there's a, there's a there's a point where I thought I hope it ends here. I hope it ends here, and this is where it ends. And that'll be it and it'll be it'll, it'll work better but I know they're going to continue it and leave it open for the possibility of a two yeah I mean oh okay that's interesting I, I that's interesting I, I, I had the the, the opposite re, well not the opposite reaction as such but I found it took a fucking age to get going um just because and I mean, the, the, the thing is, what it's doing is it is having discussions about the, the, the morals of it all. You know, when that, that's that's fine up to a point. But it, it, I, I could have done with a few less Michael Keaton, Jay Bruchel, Jennifer L sitting around discussing stuff like the The, the scene where you've got them, uh, him and uh, Keaton and Bruchel talking about the uh, talking about the costume. And you've got the image of the old, the the old Robocop suit and whatnot. I mean, like it just it, it, it feels like apart from that one reference, it feels like a needless scene. All right, mm. great, we're going to have him in black, and you know, it, it score scoring this this 
version scoring with demographics, like with these demographics, this version scoring with this one. It just, I'm not that interested about marketing. marketing yeah. I, I, like about a marketing meeting. You know, it just, it, it, that's not why I've come to see Robocop. I've come to see Robocop for, yes, some interesting political and media satire, which you do get in the film. But I have also come to see Robocop be Robocop. And the, the action, I mean, it, it, it is going to sound like I, I, I'm kind of crapping on it, despite the fact that I actually quite enjoyed it, but the action scenes in it are pretty poor, to be honest. It, it basically is just Robocop walking and turning and shooting. And that's it, pretty much. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm sorry, I had my microphone muted. Um, yes, quite. Uh, even though I do think that the, um, the kind of the drug bust bit, with the strobing is interesting at least and like when when people are firing guns and you yeah you know, it's kind of behind them and you're just seeing the kind of like the muzzle flash go off and you know, I, I i i thought that had a sense of style to it and kind of like in the shit kind of grittiness to it which i think padilla brings but I mean, like, I'm struggling to remember the climax with, like, the Ed 209s and the Jackie O'Haley fight. Um, I, I, like, I literally, like, I watched it yesterday. I cannot remember a moment of the Jackie O'Haley bit. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, you've maybe got three action scenes in the course yeah. of this film. You've got the bit where it's him against Jackie O'Haley and the robots. Uh, you've yep. got the drug bust and you've got the bit at the end and that's it. Yeah. And it just, it, it sounds reductive to say I wanted more action, but in a film with this runtime, that is this genre. I want more of that. And I do, to be honest, I do want less people talking in boardrooms. Yeah. There is far too much corporate politics uh, involved within the film, you know, um, it, but it just, it, it seems there's there's too much there's too much emphasis put on on that that part of it. I mean, the fact that you've got um, you know Jennifer L and um, Jay Baruchel cast it, you know that that immediately makes them slightly more prominent characters yeah. than if they were just you know more you know less recognisable recognisable faces. You know they're not they're certainly not like household names, but they're you know, they're people that you've that you've seen in very big stuff. They're not they're not background actors as, as such. Um, yeah. And to have them there and you know really not really have an awful lot to do other than Jay Barrichello just comes across as a bit of a marketing dick. Um, and I, I still am unsure about what Jennifer L's purpose was uh, in the entire thing. Yeah, she was, like, the least friendly, like, PA ever. Yeah, but but she seemed to be in charge of, like, customer relations. Yeah, 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 it yeah. Made no sense. Like, she was the one who kind of, like, had to talk to um, Murphy's wife quite a lot. And yet she was, like, the most uncaring, frosty bitch ever. Yeah, like like you get the idea that she she just all she wants to do was just go and knock on the door and go, look, just fuck off, he's dead, and then leave. Yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, exactly. I, it just, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I basically 
think of the film as I have the whole marketing and whatnot. It just, it was in one eye and out the other as such, to be honest. I just, it, it passed the time and I left and I just thought, fuck, I wish I saw the Lego movie. It, for me, it was a little bit like, I enjoyed it because it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, and I got enough out of it, it made me smile a little bit. But I think a lot of my liking it is the fact that it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, it's uh, not as bad as Total Recon. Yeah, I mean, I that, that's... Yeah, in the great pantheon of remakes, I mean, this is probably in the upper tier. Yeah, I mean, it's... And like you say, it's not the Total Recall remake. And it does actually just it does justify its own existence you know yeah, it, it, it is a it is a film that has relevant points to make i just i'd be intrigued to see what padilla's like director's cut would be yeah that's i mean that's because he's he's said on it that this is this is his cut this is the cut he wanted to put out you know i think what i'm I'd like the film to be a a success for you know for, for for a couple of reasons. One, you never really want to see a film fail unless it stars um, Adam Sandler. Sure. Um, and you know, with this film, is I like I said I was a huge fan of the first as well as the other work. I wouldn't like it to be one of those directors that comes over, makes his first English language film, uh, and gets kind of. Almost tarred with a you know a brush of well that was a massive flop he was given this great kind of project and it it failed this isn't a failure of the film you know people might not like it as much as the original but it, it that's it almost its crux a little bit and it always going to be compared to the original but it's a very very different film that has a very very different objective it's not you know it's not trying to remake the ethos and remake the film that, it, that it's taken from it's definitely doing something quite different uh, in, in, in its approach it's trying to have more of an overtly political thing to say and I think that, that does however is hindered to an extent by the fact that you know this film essentially is you know a, a £130 million blockbuster the first blockbuster of the year you could say as well yeah 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 I mean it yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is just kind of stuck between two stalls. Um, yeah. And, I mean, if, if this is his cut, then, you know, fair enough, I suppose. Um, but, it, I, I don't know, I just, I think it will probably be forgotten fairly quickly. It will just be one of those ones where people are just like, oh, yeah, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would have been. And, and that's yeah, about I it. I think it's, I, I don't think it's going to hinder uh, either Jose Padilla's um, career or Joel Kinnaman, uh, Kinnaman's, um you know, English language film career. I don't think it's going to exactly put a big fucking black mark against either of them. But I also don't think that it's going to basically go, fucking hell, here they are, either. I think it, that everyone will kind of come out of it, you know, ticking along quite nicely, really. I don't think it's... It's not a complete disaster, but it's not a fucking revelation. It's not going to shock people at how you know amazing it is. It'll just maybe a lot of people will come out and go, do you know what? Yeah, I enjoyed that. 
and maybe that's all it's trying to do. Maybe all it is trying to do is be a seven and a half to well, between a seven and eight out of ten film. Maybe that's its purpose. You know, if you strive sometimes uh, with a film like this with that kind of budget to go, you know, and to take the chances to go beyond eight out of ten, you can end up shooting yourself in the foot and actually making a five out of ten. And so maybe that's that's all it's trying to do. It's just trying to be under two hours worth of bit of action entertainment and a bit of sort of talky-talky for the adults. Yeah, but I, mean, I mean, saying all that, for me, this is a mild 6 out of 10. Like, it's a, mild 6 out of 10. It's a 7 out of 10 for me. Yeah. Uh, know, I, I, I certainly didn't dislike it. Uh, what I'll say is, if this does a super cool steelbook, I'll buy it. They've already announced the steelbook. It's on Amazon for pre-order. Yeah, I'm waiting to find out if that's good. if it's gloss. Not interested. If it's matte, kind of interested. Yeah, I, nice. I just um, yeah, I will say as well, um, Abby Cornish. What was the point? Yeah, yeah, she was a little bit. She was for far too much involved. Actually, I got, I got two other things. Um, no, no, I'll show you right off one other thing. The uh, the weird um, Samuel L. Jackson noises over the MGM. That logo. was fucking amazing. It was it was that was strange. The start and the end of the film were probably my favourite parts, and um, when I say the start, I mean the MGM logo. That was <laughs> yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it does seem that seems a little bit. That actually... Out of character. Yes, that is... That's reminded me. Tonally, this film is wonky as fuck. Because you start off with Samuel L. Jackson throat gargling over the MGM logo. And yet... And I mean, like, you've got him ranting at the end, like, um... Like, calling all these motherfuckers to, like, man up or whatever, you know. Um, and, And yet... It's also wedded to this very, very serious ethical quandary plot with Gary Oldman and Joel Kinnaman. Um, mm. But then, it, you know, at times it's trying to be kind of a bit goofy with Michael Keaton in the boardroom as well. It just, it feels, again, it, it, it's the between two stools thing for me, where it, it they just didn't really and also I mean that even extends to the violence where was he tasing people was he killing people yeah that's a very good yeah that's a good point because it seems to be at some points he was tasing them and at other points he was just shooting them and you know I think you know a couple of thousand um, blood squibs and a few more close ups and this is a more violent movie you know there is there is a lot of either taser-related trouser incidents mm. or a lot of deaths in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, and the, the film's editing and like the sound effects even make it difficult oh. to tell what they are. The the sound effects of the Robocop suit man thing, yeah. they, they, they started to make you go a little bit like, hang on a minute. You can make all these amazing things, right? <laughs> but you can't stop his suit going. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
all of the time. It just felt a little bit like, oh, come on. You know, yes, that's how the original suit sounded in the original movies. I get it. And you wanted to keep some of that. But it it just, all these amazing things that it can do, yet it still sounds like a plane taking off. (laughs) Um, I'll also say as well, Dead or Alive, You're Coming With Me, I was actually okay with that. And I, I liked okay I liked the kind of the the, the changing of the meaning of, yes. of, of that as well. That was uh, that was okay. I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. Actually, oh. made no sense whatsoever it, in the context it, it, of it. It, 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 it. it almost felt like the movie was telling that um, Twitter bot to shut up. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and uh, that's um, true. What I will say, major disappointment from the movie, the line, bitches, leave, wasn't in it. That's true. Who would have done that? Well, I think a lot of them could have done it. You know, I think Jay Baruchel could have done it for some reason. Actually, yeah. If, if If this was in the 80s, he totally would have been bags of coke and girls around him. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was I was a little bit disappointed that didn't happen because let's be honest, it's a great line. No, totally, totally. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't have much more to say really. No, um, I, 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 I don't. Other than the fact is that I know it sounds like we've just spent um, the past half an hour shitting on this movie, but I, I, it is a solid seven out of ten for me. I enjoyed it. I thought Joel Kinnaman was good. Um, I thought it, it was interesting enough in points. I don't think it works as an action movie. Um, I don't even really think it works as a sci-fi movie. I just think it works as a you know an entertaining enough um, couple of hours. Actually, you know what? I'm going five out of ten, and I'm saying definitely shit. It, it's it's it's. It, it's super, super borderline. It's super borderline. But I just... It, it's it's so... Overall, it's so unremarkable and so doesn't really know what it wants to be that I if, I... if someone was to say to me, should I watch the Robocop remake, I would say no. It would depend on who they were. If... Um... If, let's say, um, Noel, for instance, said to me, what do you reckon? Should I give it a go? I'd say I, I'd wait until it, you know, until you can sit down on an afternoon and watch it at home. Uh, to be honest, Whereas, I'm, I'm looking forward to six months down the line where he's going to be drunkenly tweeting through through <laughs> watching it and hating it. I'm, I'm actually yeah, looking forward to that. You know that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but if my father-in-law, for instance, said, oh, said to me on Monday, oh, I, you watched the Robocop movie, what was it like? I'll say it was all right, because I know that he'll probably quite enjoy it, because he goes to cinema for different reasons that I go to cinema for, and remind me about that later. Okay. Because, okay. my God, have I got one that will, that, will, that will annoy the shit out of you, but will go into it at the end of the, towards the end of the show. Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's not to do with my father-in-law actually, though. It's to do with somebody else. But my God, it'll it will wind you up like like you won't believe. Oh dear! <laughs> it was something that someone said to me at work, and I was just 
aghast. Okay, that's intriguing. Uh, but um, yeah, I think we're probably done on. Yes, I, I, I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm a definitely not shit. <laughs> but I'm not a definitely not shit. I'm a. It's not shit. But I've got to go. Definitely not shit. Because that's our. That's our scales. And you're a. I, I'm a definitely shit. You're a definitely shit. <laughs> I, but, but you know, it is. Again, that is our scale, and it doesn't tell the whole story. It's. It's not absolutely brutally terrible but it's not really any good either so <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah no totally but I mean it's it's got more to it than the average 5 out of 10 I would say but it's it's just it has got moments to drag it down for me but you know hey never mind I, I certainly you know it's nowhere near like worst of the year material so that's that's something in itself eh um yeah. okay let's move on and uh let's hear some promos from uh podcasts and people that we like and uh when we get back we will discuss some one old and one new are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just in, that's the third time though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You, you wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. I'm here with Bill Byforce and Mr. Chris to tell you a little bit about Outside the Cinema. All right, Reverend Scott, take us to church. Uh, What can we expect to find from a typical show? Two hours of just random blabber. (laughs) Uh, Is there anyone's coattails you wrote in on to popularity? I'm the guy that fucking burns the coattails and then pisses on them. You review all these exploitation, (laughs) horror, comedy, cult, and often all-around terrible movies. You must have a strong driving force that keeps you going. Ego. (laughs) I don't know if I've heard you say that before. Uh, Yeah, I've been saying that for a while. Really? I have been saying that for a while. Also, I'm high on smack. Well, it's definitely working for you guys. People are coming out in droves to support you on iTunes. We just the other day got a a one-star review on iTunes. Well, that is one one star too many. (laughs) Let me tell you, the worst fucking piece of shit I've ever heard. This has been great, guys. Thanks, Scott. That was good. Oh, he's got you crying over there. Uh, I'm good for the rest of the year. Nice. That was too much. Okay, and we are back, and it's time for One Old, One New. Uh, Mark, why don't you kick us off with one of yours? Okay, look, I shall kick off with my... I'm going to go with my One Old. Uh, I've watched um, two One Olds um, this uh, this week. Uh, only two. Um, and one of them, I didn't watch all of it, so I don't feel I can talk about it, because uh, I missed the last half an hour until I fell asleep. Uh, and that was Mission Impossible 3. Um, which I still really like, but has aged horribly. Um, but the other one I watched, which I did actually watch all of and I didn't fall asleep in, uh, is 
1992 Nicolas Cage movie, Honeymoon in Vegas. Um, I have quite a sort of soft spot for this movie, and I watch it sort of every about every three, four years, because I saw it at the cinema, um, and I bizarrely went to the um, cinema with my dad and my sister to see it. Um, yes. And my sister wanted to see it because uh, it's it looked like a, I think I'll have been about nine, and my sister will have been maybe 12, because it looked like a kind of rom com thing, and I wanted to go and see it because um, it had Nick Cage in it, and he was that crazy guy from Raising Arizona, uh, and my dad wanted to see it because it was a way to get us out of the house uh, because my mum was uh, on a work training course. So, always was like a small kind of part of my life because it was one of the few times that I actually went out as a family with any of my family. Um, the story uh, is um, Nick Cage. Uh, have you seen this film? I can't say I have, but sorry. I, I, don't worry, I'm not going to spoil it in any way because I'm going to issue spoilers, but to be honest, watch the trailer and you'll know the spoilers. Sure. Um, Nick Cage plays uh, a guy called Jack Singer um, who, on his mum's deathbed, his mum tells him, uh, ask him to make a promise um, that nobody will ever love him as much as she does and that he will promise her to never get married. Um, he becomes a, a private eye um, and basically gets paid to investigate people cheating on their partners. Uh, he is in a long-term relationship with Betsy, uh, played by Sarah Jessica Parker, who essentially issues him an ultimatum and says, look, you need to get over this stupid thing with your mother uh, because I want to get married uh, this ridiculous. So out of fear of losing her, he says, yes, let's do it, let's get married, but it has to be now and we have to go away. So they go away to Vegas uh, to get married. And when they get to Vegas, um, professional gambler um, Tommy uh, Coleman, played by uh, James Kahn, um, sees Sarah Jessica Parker and he's reminded of his now dead wife because she's the absolute spitting image. So he sets up a card game with um, Jack and essentially beats him to the point where he owes him a lot of money and says, well, you can't pay me. So instead of paying me, um, why don't you give me your girlfriend for the weekend? Uh, to which Nick Cage kind of discusses it with Betsy and decides that it's the only way out of it. What she'll do is she'll go spend the weekend with this guy. Um, it's already been said that there'll be no sexy stuff going on. So spend the weekend with this guy and then they come back and they get married and they can forget all about it. Um, and then you can pretty much guess what happened from, you know, from the story, you know, based on the fabric of cinema, etc. Um, it is Nick Cage very much in stupid, crazy Nick Cage, where he he's, he'll start saying something and, and stop, and then he'll start saying it really quickly again, and he'll do that, and he'll do that, and it's, it, it's that era of, of Nick Cage, great kind of crazy. But it's all set within kind of Vegas and this weird kind of romantic comedy. Um, and then you've got James Khan, who is desperately trying to prove to Sarah Jessica Parker, a, a pre-Sex in the City Sarah Jessica Parker, when she was still bearable. Uh, <laughs> that he's he's right, a okay. really nice guy and all this. Like, whereas you can, where, 
uh, while he's doing all these things about trying to say he's a nice guy, he keeps on nipping off and making phone calls to make sure that Nick Cage's <laughs> character can't get anywhere near them. Uh, because instead of staying in Vegas, he takes her to Hawaii, um, to his, um, his big kind of estate that he's got in Hawaii. Uh, and it basically just runs like that. It's a caper where he manages to convince uh, Betsy that um, that Nick Cage isn't any good for her and that she should marry him. And she's kind of conflicted about it, and he uses basically just lies to her about the vet, etc., and stuff like that. And it ends up with Nick Cage kind of bouncing around um, airports and taking all these flights to try and get back to Vegas because they're going to get married in Vegas. And in the end gets on to a plane with a bunch of Elvis impersonators uh, who he doesn't know at the time because um, he's hitching a ride with them to Vegas, doesn't know at the time that they're not actually going to land in Vegas. They're actually going to skydive out of a plane dressed as Elvis uh, into Vegas. Uh, and the whole thing essentially is the whole thing seems to be that she decides she's going to marry James Khan and um, leave Nick Cage's character then James Khan gets a little bit angry because she won't marry him straight away she wants to leave it a few weeks so she realises her mistake and then she wants to take Nick Cage back because essentially he just jumped out of the plane I'd take uh, take back Nick Cage if he jumped out of the plane and you know what? It's 92 minutes of just fun, fluffy, throwaway entertainment that is thoroughly lovely and entertaining throughout. It is Nick Cage being ridiculously funny um, in it by being completely over the top. James Khan just trying to not swear and punch people. And Sarah Jessica Parker not being in Sex in the City. I, I, you know, I, like I, say I watch it every two or three years. And every two or three years, I have a great time with it. It's on Netflix UK. And it's the sort of thing where if, I don't know, if you've just got a couple of hours, it's your day off and you've got a couple of hours in the morning and you go, do you know what? 10 o'clock, I've just had breakfast and I've got now to do for the next few hours. Fuck it. It's that kind of movie that will take you through and it's, it's fun and it's enjoyable and it's, it's, it's a very kind of early 90s uh, rom-com before rom-coms became the sacred horribleness that we associate with them now mm. back, then, back when they were still great um, a lot of times it gets compared to indecent proposal because of the you know the, the kind of dynamics of it but this actually predates indecent proposal fair enough fair enough no yeah that yeah actually that kind of does feel like a film that would have been released off of the back of Indecent Proposal. But, uh. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, Indecent Proposal is based on a novel, and maybe uh, the guy who wrote this, um, which is Andrew Bergman, who actually, you know, is a director, has actually made, you know, he's actually a fairly decent career, you know. Um, let's have a look. Um, I say, say that now, now I can't find any of his films. Um, give me two seconds. Um, but it's it's fun to see Nick Cage being Crazy Nick Cage back when Crazy Nick Cage was good before it became the new Crazy Nick Cage we've got. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you're not quite sure whether or not, you know, you watch them going, 
you're just kind of going through the crazy motions now. You don't believe in in, in anything you're doing. This is just a paycheck to you. Sure. Whereas this doesn't feel like it's just a paycheck to him. It feels like it's, you know, there's more to it. So, yeah, so um, Andrew Bergman also did The Freshman. Uh, only me and Vicks. Did the uh, Nick Cage one that happened a couple of years after uh, the It Could Happen to You. Uh, and he also directed Striptease, um, which is actually a surprisingly funny film. I quite like Striptease. Mm. If we get past the whole, you know, the fact that it's called Striptease, and it is, you know, it has a key scene in it, which is just Demi Moore taking her clothes off. Indeed. It's actually quite a funny movie. So, yeah, Burt Reynolds and Demi Moore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't think I've ever uh, so yeah, that. That, that's my that's my one one old, uh, and you know it, it, it I'll, it'll be a couple more years and I'll watch it again and probably end up really liking it again. Fair play. Nice. Um, okay, so I will talk about my one new, my one new. Yes, my one new. I'm going to go with my one new. Um, okay, so this is a film that we were um, thinking of reviewing back in December. Uh, but we instead reviewed Nebraska. Um, and there was actually a few films that we were looking at reviewing. Um, there was Nebraska, there was uh, Spike Lee's Old Boy, and there was uh, Homefront. Uh, oh, I watched this as well. Oh, okay. Let's get into a bit of a, of a chat then. Uh, so this is the latest uh, Stafe Injection, uh, which also stars um, Winona Ryder... Um, Kate Bosworth, a very, very thin Kate Bosworth, pardon me, and uh, rather bizarrely, James Franco. So the story is, uh, Jason Statham is uh, an ex-DEA agent who has an American accent for the first ten minutes of the film and then uh, decides to completely drop it. Um, and That's the Statham way. It, it is the safe way. It is the safe way. Uh, it, it, it would be good if in one in one film it could be like the hunt for Red October, where it zooms in on his mouth, like it, it, it where you know Sean Connery's speaking Russian, zooms in on his mouth and it pulls back and then he's talking English. <laughs> and then it just comes into English. Yeah, got to do that with the stage with his accent. That would be incredible. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so um, and, I mean, like the pretense is that he is undercover anyway. But then it's like, yes, but he he is his character is still supposed to be American, isn't he? Like he is a DEA agent. But um, yeah, so he uh, he quits the uh, he quits the force, and uh, his wife dies, and he and his kid um, go uh, and live somewhere in uh, one of the southern states. It kind of looks like Louisiana. Um, yeah, yeah uh, where his um, kid gets into an altercation with another kid and it sets off a spiralling chain of events which kind of sets Statham against James Franco's meth dealer Bodine um, even though Bodine isn't really the, the, the like the principal threat um, kind of sort of but then no. he kind of is but then he's not and then he is at the end, but it's Jason Statham versus James Franco in a, like, physical altercation. So it's obviously only going to go one way. Mm. Um, I enjoyed Homefront, you know. Um, I, I'd mild, mild recommend. I mean, uh, the, the action is decent enough. Um, and I don't know. I like, I, I kind of actually liked how plotty it was. Um, how it wasn't just, he pisses off James Franco. James Franco 
get like tries to get revenge or anything like that. They, they, there's a bit more going on with the plot. I mean, it's nothing intelligent at all, but at least it's something. Um, mm. I, I mean, I mean, the, the sense of place is quite well done. It feels quite sticky and icky, and it it feels like the, the, the like the area is run down and. Um, you know, I, not a, really a place you'd actually want to raise your kid because of the people around you. Um, but I kind of thought it pissed it away a bit with the third act, where it just seems to forget everything that it's set up and instead becomes Statham versus Franco in a physical altercation on a bridge. Um, yeah. There's, because there's, there's some, uh, there's some dodgy. There's basically some fairly clear evidence that the, the the police force in 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 the area are corrupt, or at least a particular member of the police force. But by the end of the film, that particular copper is just kind of working with Statham's character. I think it, I think it's more intimated that that he's not as corrupt, but more sharing information. Yeah, well, he turns a bit of a blind eye um, for. Well, he, I'd actually said that he, he turns a blind eye to uh, to uh, Franco's dealings uh, as long as every so often Franco throws him a, a bust. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it just there's I, I don't know it, it, it kind of feels like it's setting up that that character's actually because all through the film that character and Statham's character have a bit of a testy relationship but by, do, by the end Statham is literally ordering him around yeah you, you, you do think that, that in that moment after everything happens at the house you do, and you know there's, there's Clancy Brown and Statham having you know a, a basically Satan's about to go after Franco and him and Clancy Brown having the thing. You do think at that moment, right, Clancy Brown in some way is going to fuck him over now and, you know, get in touch with Franco and say he's on his way or something like that. But he doesn't. He just, like you say, he just helps him out. You know, he acts like a police officer. Yeah, 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 quite. It's, um... I I don't know, it just, it's it's odd. It, It kind of feels weirdly constructed. Um... And I mean, also, James Franco, what James Franco's doing in this, I think only James Franco knows. Um, and, I mean, the, the thing, because the thing is, there's nothing really to his character. He, it's not like Alien in Spring Breakers. It's very straight down the line played. And mm. it, it, I, it kind of just feels, it feels like a paycheck, but with James Franco... It, it, it's weird that it always kind of feels like there's some other purpose to it. But well, I, I read an interview with um, with Franco, um, and somebody asked him asked him outright the question uh, of, you know, what, what 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 was the motivation behind this? It's not your usual role, and his response was, "I, I want to try my hand at everything." And, Do you know what? You know, Fair enough. Being a being a bad guy in a, you know, in a, you know, he, he, word, he didn't quite say, but essentially he meant being the bad guy in a, in an, a B-movie action genre film, which is what this is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, was one of those things that I thought, I want to give that a go. And, you know, he, he does, and he is doing that, he's frankly, he's bouncing around with, 
with genres and you know and places. And he, he's very much gone. Do you know what? I made a load of money um, doing Spider-Man, um, and I can just essentially do what the fuck interests me now. Do, do you know what? Fair enough. If 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 he just thought it, it sounded like a fun thing to do, and he wanted to give it a go, and I mean there, there is a kitschy appeal in seeing. James Franco have scenes with Jason Statham. Yeah. It just it feels like two areas of the movie making world that shouldn't quite be combining. It, yeah, it does. I mean, that's. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I I loved Homefront. I, it, oh, okay, it's, fair it's, enough. It's got problems. Don't get me wrong. But it, the key thing that it doesn't do is it doesn't outstay its welcome. It gets in there. It gets the job fucking done. It has some great action. It's got um, Statham on fucking form. Mm-hmm. Who's you know he's kicking ass and taking names throughout it. Um, you've got Franco being a little bit fucking you know weird and crazy, but not out of turn of that type of role. Um, I it's I really enjoyed it. You know, it's not. I'm not going to recommend it to loads of people, but that's the type of you know film that I would have rented um, in the in the early mid-90s. I would have gone in on a uh, Saturday afternoon and gone to the uh, video shop and looked through and gone home front. Fuck yeah. You know, because that would have in if that film was made in 1993, not in 2003, it might have still been written by Sylvester Stallone. But it might, but it would probably have starred Jean-Claude Van Damme and probably like Gary Busey or somebody sure. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and I'd have it, and I'd still be watching it now. And that's the thing, you know. Um, I I really enjoyed that. It. It, it 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 hit all the buttons that I I watched it on a Thursday night, and it hit all the buttons I wanted it to hit on a Thursday night. Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't say I can't say fairer than that. I mean, you, you, you're certainly right about the um, the runtime as well. I mean, it's 94 minutes long. It do, it doesn't outstay as welcome at all. Um, I just I don't know. I, I, I kind kind of just thought it was messy, and I thought it was it was it's, it was a bit far away. Yeah, that, but that's exactly what I wanted from it. His kid was irritating as shit. Yeah, his kid was irritating as shit. Yeah. Actually, that's he fucking done what she was told. And that, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just. Um, I don't. Know, I mean, it's it's even little things like the kind of the setup that they have about him and the the, the school psychologist. But yeah. Be- Becky mentioned that and said it was it was like there was going to be more to that, but then they just decided, you know what, no, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like they they probably literally have about three scenes together, and yeah. I, I think they're pretty much all in the first half of the film as well. And it, it just it feels like the film itself just has all these balls in the air and then just drops them and just thinks, fuck it, let's just have safe from punching people, which is I mean, which is fine. Which is, yeah. <laughs> That, I think that is exactly what happened. Uh, and then, like, like, like Stallone got ha- like bored halfway through writing it and went, oh no, this bit go this way and it's going to go this way and everything like that. And like, he gave Statham like, the, like, the draft of the first bit of it and he went, I don't, I don't punch anybody for quite a while there, do I? And they went, they just went, ah, fuck it, you kiss it back. Give me an hour. And then went, there you go. He went, oh, he's written my went, now I've finished it. It's done. Done. I'm about to go and, about to go and write the next Expendables movie. And yeah. they totted off, and they went, and the director went, oh, this is great, this is great. Oh, all right. Oh, well, fuck it, yeah, we'll blow a house up then. Yeah. And just did that. And uh, do you know what? Fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, that, 
That, that, yeah, I think that's probably exactly what happened. And um, I don't know, maybe there is a longer cut where that stuff's more fleshed out. And to be honest, I probably wouldn't want to see that. So, you know, so um, it it just, it's weird that the film sets up so much stuff and then... Just doesn't bother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I loved it. (laughs) I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I, but I mean, it's fine. It's abs- I mean, it will be on Netflix soon. I would have thought, and it's perfectly decent Friday night fare on on Netflix. You know, yeah. and, and and that's about it. And which 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 is fine because that's all you really expect. So I mean, I'm not I'm not criticising it for not doing what I wanted it to do because in a way it did, and that's why it's a three out of five. It did what I wanted it to do, but it just did it. It just yeah. didn't really do anything anything else really and but hey you know whatever uh i'm currently staring at a picture of shia labeouf with a paper bag on his head um for any particular reason or just, just apparently just he did it on the red carpet for um oh is this part of his back. is this part of his uh, i'm retired from public life yeah he's literally <laughs> he's literally got a paper bag on with eyes cut out and it says i am not famous anymore on it um, wow, that's a that's a, a a massive cry for attention, that isn't it? It's it's it is kind of a tangent time. It is kind of fucking ridiculous that I, I I don't I just don't get it anymore. Unless it's really annoying performance art, why doesn't he just not do stuff in public? Because I I, I generally think he just he likes he likes the idea of it all. He likes this. I think he's. he's his his ego is that big that he he can't really understand what he's done that's that wrong. Yeah, I do. You know, and, and and you know, let's be honest, he's just a bit of a dickhead. That that's the thing. He is a dickhead. No, I mean that that's all there is. That that's all there is to it. Even though I I I do kind of like the fact that he was asked a question at the press conference and quoted Eric Cantona. <laughs> well, it, the thing about him is, is, is what he said was, "I'm retiring from public life," and everyone went, "Yay, he's retired!" And he's like, "No, he's not. He's not retired." At no point has he said, "I'm not going to act anymore. I'm not going to steal uh, other people's ideas and direct them anymore." What he said was, "I'm not. I'm going to. I'm retired from public life," which means that he's not going to tweet anymore, and he's not going to put stuff on Facebook, and he's not going to go to premieres. But he still is doing all those things. So it's just it, it just smacks so much of a guy who's so insecure and wants any attention and he knows the easiest way to get it is if it's negative nowadays. I, uh, I don't it just it annoys me because with something like um Nymphomaniac I mean, I suppose Nymphomaniac's got enough to it in terms of com- a conversation, but it kind of feels like it's just taking the attention away from Nymphomaniac. But do you reckon that Lars von Trier will love that kind of thing? Yeah. Do you reckon that, 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 cause it wouldn't surprise me if, if, if actually if Shia LaBeouf went, said to Lars von Trier, look, I don't want to go to this premiere because, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want any of that shit anymore. And he went, do you know what you should do? What? You should go, you should go with a bag over your head and with your dick out. I'll go with the bag over my head, but not with my dick out. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fucking hell. Yeah. Will somebody go with their dick out? Why don't you go with your dick out, lads? Oh, I'm not doing that. Nowhere. 
Sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, but anyway, we've we've wasted enough oxygen about Shia LaBeouf. Um, so, uh, Mark, your one oh new new my one new uh, is um, is another film that was released this week. Um, I, I watched uh, Dallas Buyers Club, um, oh. which um, you know we, we had a choice between you know Robocop and we were looking at doing Lego, but we do Lego next week, aren't we? Yeah. Um, or Dallas Buyers Club, but it just seemed like. Robocop kind of fit what we do a little bit more, yep. didn't it? Um, but I, I, I still went to, to see uh, Dallas Buyers Club, which is a film that is, you know, it, it's getting a lot of attention um, because of the uh, because of the lead performances from Matthew McConaughey and to a lesser extent uh, Jared Leto. Um, it's based on the true story um, of uh, Ron Woodruff, um, who um, is sorry, what was um, a an electrician um, who contracted AIDS in the mid-80s in America when AIDS, there was still, there was none of the, what we know about AIDS now. It was, it, in mid-80s, AIDS was new. It was, you know, it was a completely new um, illness um, and there was a lot of fear behind it and essentially it was for a long, long time known as something that um, gay guys and drug addicts get or gay drug addicts get. So, you know, and he's, he's, Ron Woodruff was not the most, um, not the most sound of mind people, you know, he, he had some kind of, he had a lot of kind of like homophobic um, views towards it and didn't really like the idea that he contracted this, uh, this disease that was most strongly associated with, with gay people. Um, and... The idea is the whole film is about him, and you know he was told that he had less than thirty days to live, um, and he was trying to get onto you know in America at the time AZT, which is still used to treat um, the AIDS virus, um, was in its it was in testing phase, and he's trying to go through all this, but we kept on getting caught up in all the the legal red tape of um, the American drug industry, which is. The American drug industry is uh, is a business. It's not it's nothing more than that. It's just how much money can we make on these drugs, um, and we're not going to look at anything else. We're only going to look at these drugs because the drug companies have developed these and they're paying us to look at these. So we're not going to look at any alternatives at all, uh, and and that's what it is. And he, he sets up the uh, what's called a buyers club, um, which is instead of and a few of these did crop up in in America uh, in the mid eighties where. Instead of you buying drugs to treat this, which are illegal because they're not approved by the FDA, you buy a membership to a club, and then one of the things that you get from your membership is you get given this medication, which you're not, because they're not selling you directly the drug, technically that's not, at the time, that wasn't illegal. Uh, and it's, it's about um, Ron basically running this club and trying to find these different drugs from elsewhere, uh, and it, one of his partners uh, is where to get into uh, the the market uh, that even more strong wants to be involved in, which uh, at the time was um, the, um, you know, the, the the gay movement within uh, America. You know, it was something that was quite heavily affecting um, that in America. Um, he uh, teams up with uh, Rayon, played who is a um, transgender, played by uh, Jared Leto. Um, and they kind of team up together and they end up running the, the Dallas Buyers Club. And, you know, it, 
it's one of those films where you can pretty much obviously guess what happens throughout. Um, he also has the help of uh, Jennifer Garner, who plays uh, a doctor um, that you know was his doctor, uh, Rayon's doctor, and he's one of the doctors who is uh, leading the trials for AZT. Have you watched Dallas Buyers Club? No, yeah, mate, no. No, um, it is. Dallas Buyers Club is a good movie. It's a very good film. Um, but it's a very good film because it's a very interesting and a very moving story. And Matthew McConaughey is frankly incredible in it. He, you know, the there's a lot made of uh, weight gain and weight loss for for actors, and you know how how different is putting on a lot of muscle to losing a lot of weight. In terms of film, we don't give enough credence to actors that put on a lot of bulk um, and things like that. But McConaughey, um, you know, he's painfully uh, thin. He's changed his entire body stance and everything. And he, he essentially has fallen into this, this character of, of, of Ron Woodruff, who was a real guy. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a there's a transformation within that. Uh, and to a similar extent, they're the same with, but to a lesser extent, with Jared Leto. And it is... It very much is it's McConaughey's performance that, that does lead you through this movie and, and guide you through it. And it is the very much the glue that holds the film together because uh, in terms of directorially, it, it's not... It's a very... It's very generically dealt with um, by um, Jean-Marc Blair, um who I'm trying to think of what else uh, I crazy that C R A Z Y film, yeah. Yeah. Um so it, it's it's not it's a very safe he very much wants the story to be um the guide through and, and you know knows that in McConaughey he's got the actor to take him through it and it's almost like he's decided that that's enough. But the film feels very underwritten. There's a lot more to this story and a lot more to what Ron Woodruff did uh, and was doing um, that isn't kind of explored. And it, it does feel like we've, we, we, we've, we've seen, we've scratched the surface, but we've not got any deeper than the surface of what was actually going on. And, and, and that's what kind of disappoints a little bit with Dallas Buyers Club in the fact that it's a very, very good film. But it's a very, very good film because of its lead performance. You know, outside of that, there's still quite a lot there. And Jared Leto is very, very good in it as well. Yeah. But it it just seems like had it been, had it had a bit more, I mean, it's hard to say had a bit more time to spend on it. You know, the, this a film that has been trying to be made in some guys for, for nearly 20 years, you know, and... You get a feeling like it, 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 I don't know, it, like the direct, the, the writers hadn't, couldn't quite get to the, get to the bones of it, um, and that the director isn't quite a skilled enough director to take you further than than the, the outline of the story needs to go. It is a very good film, it's a very moving film, but. It's all because of how great McConaughey is, isn't it? And he is magnificent, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much what I've heard, really, that it's the performances that make the film and not really anything mm. else. I, I I will be watching it in the next couple of weeks. Um, I've still got to watch this and um, Philomena, and then that's the all the best pictures watched for me. So um, I'll be I'll be getting to this soon. Um, but it is really because of the performances that I'm, uh, you know, that I'm looking forward to it. And I mean, it is an interesting story. It just that's that's it. It's, it's an incredibly interesting story. And it's it, don't get me wrong. It's a it is an eight out of ten. But it's a high eight out of ten. It's possibly eight point five. I don't think it is. No, it's an eight out of ten. It's an eight out of ten film. So that's not bad. And it is. It's deserving of its um, of its nomination, but it's not quite. Um, it, it, it just you watch it thinking, do you know what? This could have been better. You know, maybe that McConaughey, if, if you had a director that was at the level or even just a level below McConaughey, but it's so painfully obvious throughout the entire film that its lead is working on another level, a, a, a much higher level than everybody else. You know, Jared Leto's very good in it, but he's not quite up to that level. And, I mean, it is, it, at points, Jennifer Garner, it, it's almost embarrassing watching her try to go toe-to-toe with uh, McConaughey. Uh, and she's not a... Jennifer Garner's not a bad actress, but let's be honest, she's not a great actress either. And... She's she's made to look very, very kind of um, very bland and very lifeless um, in this movie when she's next to uh, people who are, are so much on a higher level than she's on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Jennifer Garner is just one that like you you see her presence. It's like oh yeah, it's her. yeah, great, and that, that's that is, about. That is, that is literally it. I mean, she. She's the sort of person where in this film you're going, it, it, she, she arrives on the screen and you go, oh, she's back. Oh, I didn't see her there. Um, it, it, it's very much like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I've heard nothing about her in the film. I knew she was in it, but that was about it, you know. I suppose it's not really surprising, but I don't know. Hey, I'll, I'll get to it. Cool, what's your uh, one old then? Okay, my one old is going to be... Um, the first time I watched this was the first film I watched on Netflix. Like, ever. So, um, that's something, but I've come back to this. Um, recently released in a uh, lovely Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, this is Michael Mann's Thief. Oh, yes. Um uh, so, first off, I must say, the Criterion looks fucking amazing. Um, lovely, lovely and grainy. Um, it, it, it just, it looks like you're watching a really nice print of it. There, you know, there, 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 there is a little bit of damage every now and then, but it's absolutely fine. It just kind of adds to the feel. And, uh, it's been kind of remastered into 5.1 as well, which, um, sounds great. Actually, the, um, the Tangerine Dream score really pops out of the rear speakers, and it's um, it, it's a really really good mix. Um, so yeah, this is uh, Michael Mann's feature debut. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, um, James Khan is Frank, a uh, thief, unsurprisingly, uh, a very very good dual thief who only likes robbing, uh, stealing ice. 
You know, he he has his he has you know as lots of thieves and criminals in films do. He has his rules and he tries to stick to them. But when he kind of sees an opportunity to maybe actually aspire to a normal life, um, but in doing so, he has to kind of side up a team up with. Um, some shady folks that he doesn't really deal with uh, just to do a couple of scores, it, it kind of quickly turns to shit. So, um, yeah, Thief. Um, what a what an amazing and fully fucking formed uh, directorial debut this is. I mean, I know Michael Mann had done TV work and whatnot beforehand, but, I mean, this still informs work that, you know, he, he he's doing in, in the modern day. I mean, it, it, certainly in terms of the, the themes of the film. Um because, I mean, like, Mann is a director who likes to show men being men and doing their jobs well. Mm. You know, that's a big thing with Mann. He, li- he likes showing off the precision and the professionalism of men doing their jobs. Um, yeah. You know, wh- whether it be actually, like, you know, like William Peterson's character in, in Manhunter, you, you know, is a damaged good guy or bad guys like um, uh, uh, Robert De Niro's character in Heat or Johnny Depp in Public Enemies, you know. Um, and as well as this, though, he, he also likes the idea of these guys aspiring to a normal life or something like resembling a normal life. And that and, and basically like the fates intervening and saying, no, you're good. At, you're good at being a bad guy. We're not going to let you do this. Like Dillinger is, is kind of felled after he kind of falls for Marion Cotillard's character in Public Enemies, and um, you know De Niro's downfall in Heat is primarily down to the fact that he wants to have a normal life with his girlfriend. You know. Um, yeah. So with this, it's the idea that he forms in prison uh, of trying to have a normal life and at the start of the film he's kind of halfway there he's got his used car dealership and whatnot you know um but then it's like getting the wife and you know even like the getting the kid where it's like a quick fix kind of thing where the um the other guy i think he's played by robert polsky he's just like you want a kid you got a you got a kid white black chinese like what type of kid do you want a boy girl you know and and the, the way that his life was doing okay when he was doing things by the book and living his life, but restricting himself to not being able to have the things that normal people can have. And then when he tries to get that and he, he tries to attain that, it, it all goes badly, badly wrong for him. And by the end of the film as well, I mean, like he, he basically kind of has like kicked the baby out with the bathwater, you know, as, as well as like not being able to have this life. He literally fucking sets fire to it. You know, I mean like the ending of the film is you've seen Thief, haven't you? I have, yeah, sorry, sorry uh, a, a while ago, but yeah, I, I have seen it, I'm, I'm very much, I'm looking forward to revisiting it on this, the, the, the new remastered bit of it, because I last saw it on a really shitty VHS. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the Netflix copy's not amazing either, to be honest. That, that's what I've heard, that's why I've, I, I started watching the Netflix one and got about 20 minutes into it and went, I have a feeling the new Blu-ray's going to look better than this. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I certainly hope it gets, um, it gets licensed over here. Um... I think it has. I think uh, Arrow doing it. Oh, Arrow! Well, shocker of shocks. Okay, brilliant. That's that's great. That's great. Um, sure that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean that that's 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 fantastic. I, I hope they can license the interviews on this disc as well. I'm sure they'll get the commentary at least. Um, but yeah, so um, oh yeah, because it's MGM and Arrow have a relationship with MGM, so that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they mentioned something about about doing it at some point. Yeah, I mean they, they're like MGM do license stuff to them. I mean they did um, body snatch uh, invasion of the body snatchers, didn't they? So it um, it would make sense. Uh, but. Yeah, so I mean, like he sets fire to his life at the end, and then you know the 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 end of the film. I mean, it was interesting. There's an interview with Michael Mann on the Blu-ray when he was saying that they were. That I, I think they actually said they shot an ending where he kind of he meets up with the, his girlfriend and his kid again, you know, and it, it just like it's it's kind of like a happier ending. But then this ending is appropriate. I mean, this the ending to this film is fucking perfect. Like it, it like he just ah uh, spoilers. You know, he sets fire to his car lot. He sets fire to his club. Um, I'm pretty sure he blows up his house. And he goes to the bad guy, to the guy who fucked him over that place, kills everyone, and then just walks off into the darkness with like this great tangerine dream score in the background. And then it just cuts to black, and it's just like, right, he's just he's fully acknowledged he can't have this life, and now he's got to basically burn everything down and start again and, like, not be emotionally fulfilled, but at least he'll live, you know. And, I mean, like, in terms of an actor to do that, who better in this time period than James Kahn to kind of, mm. do, you know, to do that? I mean, he's he's he is fucking amazing in it. And, I mean, he also, the fact that he manages to pull off some very tricky stuff with the relationship where, like, he stands Tuesday Wells' character up and then he basically forces her out of the club and into a car... And yet, by the end of the night, they've basically committed to each other to, like, have a life together. Um, and, and yet, that feels believable. And it doesn't feel like Tuesday World's character is just, like, crumbling or anything like that. It does feel like it's of their own free will. And, I mean, it's 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 very, very well played. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll stop talking now. But, I mean, it, it's the fact that so much of man's vision is and ideas i i mean I, is already in this film it's mm. um it, it, it's it's pretty impressive and yet you don't ever really feel like he's doing the same old same old or anything like that with what man does i mean i'm very very much looking forward to cyber uh which is his film with chris hemsworth which i think is coming out early next year yeah the um the computer hacking one yeah 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 um i mean cuz it's been it's been five years since uh, Man's had a film out now, and um, I think the reaction to Public Enemies might have burned him slightly. I mean, the only thing people really remember about Public Enemies is the fact that it kind of looked like shit, and like no one ever talks about Public Enemies. I liked Public Enemies. I actually, I, I, I like Public Enemies. I, I like the look of it as well. To be honest, I it, it, like it felt kind of weirdly gritty and lo-fi and almost kind of documentary style. Um, but I, I also really like my advice to film. I, I I do as well. I I, I really like that. It, it, that is that is a fucking cool as fuck movie. Yeah, man. I've got the I've got the extended US Blu-ray of that. You know, I'm uh, I'm I am a which is region free if people are interested. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Miami Vice. Um, actually, that's Stuart rewatch as well. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it just Michael Mann. I'm in the tank for Michael Mann. I am. <laughs> good place to be absolutely uh great so shit shall we move on to the to the to the Chim- Chiminoathon Chiminoathon 
to me, no fun. Okay, um, I'm going to go for a P. Uh, we're going to have the trailer for uh, Year of the Dragon, and then we're going to get into it. Cool. And we're going to get a drink. Nice. Corruption or kosher? We're Chinese mafia. The investigation's in your mind. These people are the biggest importers of heroin in this country. The point here is you cease and desist. Nobody wants to win this thing, do you? You don't like it, resign. Maybe everybody's right. I'm chasing something that doesn't exist. This is not the Bronx or Brooklyn. It's not even New York. It's Chinatown, right? It can be very easy or it can be very hard. You care too much, Stanley. How can anybody care too much? Okay, so that was the trailer for uh, Michael Cimino's uh, Year of the Dragon, starring uh, Mickey Rourke. Uh, Adrian, is that her name? Yeah. Um, Ariane. Ar- Ariane. Ariane. Just, just, just the, just the single. Just yeah. the, uh, just the single name in her, uh, in her name. That's interesting. And uh, a, a bunch of other folks. Um, story is. Um, Mickey Rourke is uh, the new uh, chief cop in Chinatown, uh, where he mixes shit up and uh, generally pisses off the old guards there, both of um, of the uh, the kind of the local Chinese mafia and also um, his, his superiors. Um, a new uh, kind of big boss in town, Johnny, who kind of. Uh, takes over via a kind of a coup, coup d'etat, really. Um, uh, a Joey, sorry, played by John Lone. Um, and he quickly kind of sidles up against uh, Mickey Rock's Stanley. Um, can anyone tell I just got the IMDb up? And, um, <laughs> and, and yeah, uh, Mickey Rock goes through the film uh, being racist uh, and being a dickhead to his wife. And um, yet, somehow, for me, it still worked, and that was actually quite enjoyable. Uh, Mark, what did you think of Year of the Dragon? Uh, Year of the Dragon is um, 
it, it feels like almost the work of a director that's a little bit bruised. Um, like it, 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 it's somebody who, who it, it is still an incredibly egocentric director and still wants to. It, it, it still feels very much like a, a Michael Cino film. You know, you've got the um, David Mansfield score in it, and you've got that kind of sedate pacing that's running through it. But it also feels like it, it's trying to do a lot more. Uh, and it's trying to to overtly just say a lot more out loud rather than subtly. Um, and it, it comes across uh, as a film as structurally it is all over the place um, in, in terms of its structure. Uh, it's you know in comparison to um, uh, you know I mean you can say Thunderbolt and Lightfoot didn't really feel like a Chimino film yet. Whereas Deer Hunter, <coughs> Heaven's Gate and this, they all feel like uh, they're, like they're made by the same director. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, this feels like a film that it's only two and a quarter hours long, whereas the other films all are, you know, you've got just shy of three hours and then you've got, you know, just shy of four hours uh, in terms of uh, Deer Hunter and Heaven's Gate. This feels like it, it, there is there's more there and it could have been three hours long um, and maybe it would have made a little bit more sense but what it actually is is it, it's a, a, a clusterfuck of ideas all thrown together that somehow works because despite the fact that like you say Mickey Rock's um, Stanley is just a complete obsessive self-centered bastard he's, what he's trying to achieve is actually for the good um, and you do actually start getting behind him to a level, and he is quite a, he's not a sympathetic character, but you accept the fact that he might be an arsehole but at least his his aim is is true Yeah, I mean, that that's the thing, like the incorruptible element of him is mm. the thing that kind of keeps you on side I think um, and, and, and also, actually, I think, I think it's fair to say that Mickey Rourke is actually quite charismatic in the role. Um, he was very charismatic at this time, mm, wasn't he? Mm. he? You know, he was a very charismatic actor. And, you know, and he, Mickey Rourke's become a joke now, let's be honest. Um, you know, the, the surgery and all that shit has, has left him becoming, you know, the, he's, he's the butt of everyone's kind of joke to an extent. But it, it he was actually a very, very good actor, you know, in the mid-80s. He made some great movies. Yeah, oh, no, absolutely. And, I mean, like, he's he's got some good standout moments in this. I mean, one, one thing that particularly struck me was um, actually right, um, right towards the end of the film, where um, he's basically got Johnny and... I can't remember what he says. It's like, tell me where they are. But the way, the way he says it, where it just seems like he's utterly defeated and mm. tired and broken. And it, it, it's almost like he's doing the Christian Bale Batman voice, but just in a kind of a raspy, exasperated kind of kind of way that yeah. it, it really kind of belies the rest of the film where he has been like hot shit. Yeah, it, it's a... It's it's a uh, you know I'm gonna kill you. You might as well fucking tell yeah, me yeah, yeah, yeah. where it is. You've already you know you're gonna die. 
I'm broken. Do this one last fucking thing. Yeah. It, 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 it's it's like that, and he he does he does portray that kind of that descent into obsessive madness quite well. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean they. I mean, because the second half of the film is very different from the first. I mean, um, I mean, well, maybe like the first two acts, I suppose. But when his wife is killed, um, and and you know, shit gets real. Uh, and I mean, at the funeral as well, where he he he's really really broken, and he just gives off the vibe of a man who knows that he really did wrong by this woman. Yeah. Yeah. Like he 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 he. he fucked up and he can't not only is she dead because of him it's the the fact that she died you know she died in a bad place because of him yeah yeah I mean like she was really really unhappy and and then that happened I mean it it is I do I I, I mean the, the thing is as well like the first scene with her it does kind of feel like, oh, she's just the ball busting her indoors. Yeah. But I, I, I think in the scene subsequent, once you've kind of seen what he actually was like with her, I think it gives, um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I think it really gives you the, a, 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 an insight and it does make you get on side with her. Um, and I mean, I'm just, uh, who, who was she? Uh, Caroline Carver. I, I didn't recognize her, even though she was in Heaven's Gate. So maybe I should have recognized her. Um, but fuck, who was she in Heaven's Gate? Stefka. She was one of the, uh, wasn't she one of the wives? Okay, I suppose that would make sense. She, she, she is in it a lot. Okay, fair enough. No, fair enough. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like, I, I think she's good at being the ball buster, but then playing the sadness, like, it's just in the background of her character quite, quite well, you know. And I, I like, I liked her kind of final confrontation with, with him, where she's just like, look, we, we both know, you know, this isn't going to work. That's it. Now leave because I don't want you to see me crying over this, you know. I mean, like, that's such a I, I thought that was quite a touching moment and then for her to fucking be like garroted uh pretty much straight away it just it, it really it, it's a big serious this shit just got real moment um and i mean like that that kind of thing and the kind of the mood of the last act i mean i, I i'm intrigued to get your thoughts on this it, it's kind of slightly betrayed by the last scene or the last moments of the last scene for me where the film seemed to be going in this place where, like, basically it was going to show that he was going to be forever trying to chase this stuff down and he was always going to be drowned out of it and, you know, he was never going to win. But then suddenly she kind of... the, the, The reporter grabs him and then they embrace and then they walk off and he's fucking smiling. Yeah, and it... it, Yeah, it's... It's it's almost like she's become his... She's the thing that's going to take him away from all of this. And she's become, like, like the saviour a little bit. Uh, I, I, I mean, I almost kind of relate it to the end of The Deer Hunter, where it's, like, on the face of it, it, it it's, like, 
you know, it, on the face of it, it could be seen as being quite like gooey and sentimental, but maybe there's a more subversive thing behind it, as if it, he's just accepted. Fuck it, I've lost. This is my lot now, and it's almost like a smile with tears behind it, or something. I don't think it is, but I, I, I think there's a, there's a running theme throughout the entire film that essentially he he's never really got over uh, what happened in Vietnam. Sure, and uh, there's an idea within the film that that the reason why he's so fucking gung ho and has such a fucking hard on for going for you know for clearing up Chinatown is related to to that geographical area um, and to that and it's not you know it, it's his way of still being you know of righting the wrongs that he had in Vietnam and, and, and there's an extent to to that that goes there and it, it's it's maybe that he, he came back from there broken and this is just you know this is all the bits falling apart from there yeah, no, I yeah, okay, that's 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 fair. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I I just um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it it's um, it's a confused piece ooh, of work. I'll I, I tell you what, actually, I'm just having a look at the IMDb trivia here. I'll just read something. Yeah. Michael Cimino was allowed final cut of the film, but was forced mm. to make one change to the ending. Uh, quote, the only change they asked me to make, which to this day I still find inexplicable because I think it sums up the movie, was to the very last line. At the end of the movie, there's another fight that breaks out on Mott Street during a funeral parade. Mickey is in the middle of the melee. Tracy runs in and picks him off the gra- up off the ground. They both look like survivors of a war. The camera closes in. If you look closely, you can see that they're not saying the line that you're hearing. The last line in the movie was Stanley looks at her and says, well, I guess if you fight a war long enough, you end up marrying the enemy. Oliver Stone himself is married to a Vietnamese girl right now. I'm sure you'll see Americans with Iraqis, Iraqi women at some point. For reasons that I can't understand, that line was not acceptable, so I took a line from some other place in the movie and slipped it in, and it doesn't make any sense at all. But that line, that sums up the whole movie. That is fucking interesting. Hmm. Because that... Look at with that line and in the context of what you're seeing, kind of some would make it feel like a bit more of a kind of subversive, unhappy ending. Yeah. What is the yeah, What is the last line then? Like the, the actual last line that's in the film. I can't remember. It's, it, it, it's something very throwaway. It, it is properly throwaway, isn't it? I want to see if it's in the IMDb quotes. It is. It's, it's in, yeah. It, it's a really. Oh, really? Here we go. Yeah, come on. Uh, last lines. Stanley, you were right. I'm, I was wrong. Sorry. I'd like to be a nice guy. I would. I just don't know how to be nice. Then Tracy says, you're really crap. Do you know that? Yeah. Which, which you can almost work out where that would have come in the film. Oh, like uh, when he's kind of like trying to shag her in the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's... That's the That gets... That... That gets that that gets near to being rapey, doesn't it? Oh no, that totally gets near to being. Well, I mean, apart from the fact that he doesn't actually do, or does he? He doesn't actually rape her, but he does fuck her. But it's not rape. Yeah. Because, but it it, it, it kind of does start out a little bit like rape. Mm. It's it's it, it's a strange. It 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 it, it goes. It, it seemingly like she's wanting to get out, and, and she does actually want to get out. And then he goes, nah, I still want to fuck you. And 
then she goes, oh, well, do you know what? So do I. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's kind of like that, but it it kind of makes sense, but it does, it does feel a little bit muddled, this movie. Mm. Um, And I think that maybe it's because you've got, you know, you've got Chimino directing it, but you've got writing it, um, and on set uh, as well, you had uh, Oliver Stone with Chimino, and it, it, they're two, they're very much very sort of strong characters, um, and have very sort of strong views um, on, on how they want their films to look and everything like that. And although this does feel like a Chimino film, and it plays out like a Chimino film, and it, it, in essence it, is, it has that altruistic style. There does seem to be a bit of confusion within it. There's, you know, Chirino, his other two big films, you know, his other two celebrated films in Heaven's Gate and and, um, Deer Hunter, they're very much, they're quite, they're big on scope and scale and everything, but they're they're small on the world they're within. They're a set amount of characters, they're a set amount of places. And this goes, this goes international. You know, Deer Hunter goes international, but it, it, it goes Pittsburgh, Vietnam, Pittsburgh, Vietnam. This goes to other places, and it, it drags in things from all over. And you know, this idea of this mafia links—they go way, way out, and they're like all branches that that stretch across the globe. And that feels more stone than it does Chimino. Um, certainly, to, to, to me, there's anyway in terms of of how he envisions film and how Chimino envisions film, they, they do seem to almost cross a little bit. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, I don't know. I never thought I'd see these two actually working together. I didn't really know any, I didn't really know this film existed before we were um, looking up what to do for the uh, Chimino, uh, Chimino film. And it, it feels kind of nice that we're bringing it full circle considering we have done Sleazy Stone in the past. Yeah. Uh, so, but, um, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. It, it, it's an interesting character piece. It's just like that last line. It fuck me. If that last line was that last line, it would have really fucking hit the nail it on the head for me. That would have been it would great. Have been a, it would have been a, 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 a fucking a gut punch, certainly. Yeah, and I, I know. Um, I, I, I read it. It's it's one of um, Tarantino's favorite films, isn't it? Year of the Dragon. Oh, is it really? Oh, I could yeah. see that. It is. It's. it's I know. Um, Deer Hunter's one of his. He, he, you know, he's a, he's a huge Deer Hunter fan. But uh, I, I remember doing seeing talk about uh, Year of the Dragon before in, in an interview where, you know, he, he talks about how it, it, it's it's all over the place and the, you know, the, it, it's one of his favourite films to watch um, that he watches and never thinks I want to take. I'd like to do something like that. Like it's just a film that he just watches. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, yeah, it's. I mean, for me, it's definitely not shit. It's. Oh god, yeah. It's. I don't think it's good. It's not as good as Deer Hunter. Oh god, um, no, 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 no. And it, it's very different um, to Heaven's Gate. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm glad. I, 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 yeah, it, it's, I could see myself certainly watching. Well, it's a very good companion piece. Um, to uh, Angel Heart that um, Mickey Rock made a couple of years later with Alan Parker. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, so I, I'm a, I'm a definitely not shit on that. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely a definitely not shit on it. It's um, it it, it is it is a good time. Um, it's it, I mean it looks great. Um, uh, the David Mansfield score I thought was pretty solid. Um, it's mm. it, you know it's not the deer hunter, but um, in terms of score, but it's it's still good. It's just it, it is a good time. It's um, you know it's kind of a story you don't quite see every day, and um, yeah, no, it's uh, a, a solid, definitely not shit for me too. Yeah. Um, and and that was it for the uh, Chi, uh, Chimino um which was the first uh, Dune and Monkey Marathon of 2014. Uh, we haven't even discussed what the next marathon's going to be, but we um, will try and have think of something over the next week or so and uh, let you guys know. Um, time for Twitter questions. Yes. Okay, so we've got a few. Um, first off, um, Chris Ward at Horace Smith just says, I'm glad you liked Big Bad Wolves. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, so are we. Um, okay, I think the first question, uh, Chris Byrne at Cinematronics. If you could cast The Rock in any movie franchise, what would it be? I've got one for you. Go on. Freddy versus Jason versus Michael versus Hobbs. Motherfucker, I was about to say Nightmare on Elm Street. I genuinely <laughs> was, you fucker. Yeah, alright, that would be good. Wouldn't it? You know, not not the rock as such, but his character. Like, Freddie, Jason and Michael have all escaped their relevant worlds, and they're all now in our world, and Agent Hobbs has been set out to go and fucking catch him. Very nice. That's a fucking movie. Um... I'd cast The Rock in a fourth part to Dario Argento's Mother of Tears trilogy. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see him do a horror film. That would be amazing. Either either as uh, the protagonist or as the hero, just in a horror film, but not a generic, you know, remake of fucking, I don't know, some shitty horror film. Mm. I'd like to see him, you know, proper do an interesting horror movie. I think that'd be quite cool. And it wouldn't surprise me if he ended up doing it at some point. Yeah, yeah, no, I think he could um, could one day as well. Um, okay, cool, that was good. Um, at uh, Nocturne Tom DJ, uh, it's Tom DJ. Uh, what's the worst casting of a white actor slash actress as an ethnic type? Um, I haven't seen the film, but Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's, <laughs> based on what yeah, I've seen of it. Yeah, that that would My other one would be um, Laurence Olivier uh, in Othello. Mm. Mm. Where he's, he's he's just blacked up, and it's a little bit weird. Mm. Yeah. Um, Sam Worthington as a Navi and Avatar. <laughs> yep. Um, uh, what else? I'm trying to think. There's a couple. No, that's that, that that's that's my worst. Is the is the Lawrence Olivia blacked up in a fella. Fair play. Nice. Um, what else have we got? Oh, there you are, Tom DJ with another, fair enough. Uh, what is the worst sartorial crime against humanity perpetrated by the movies? Ooh. Sean Connery and Zardos? Oh, God, that's a fucking good one. I was going to say, um, Hugh McGregor's comically half-mashed trousers in Michael, uh, sorry, Mark Foster's uh, stare. Is that that horror he did with Naomi Watts? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen Stay. Uh, it's it, it. Ryan Gosling's very good in it. 
Hugh McGregor's fucking terrible in it. Um, Bob Hoskins has no reason to even be in the movie. Um, and honestly, th- th- throughout it, Hugh McGregor's trousers seem to get come pulled up and up and up to the point of where he's almost wearing three-quarter length trousers and it's never explained why. Nice. It's a, it's a fucking weird film. But yeah, it's not even that good. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I believe that is it. Right, right. Right here. This will get you. This, oh, this yeah, yeah, let's go back to the... Yes, OK, go on. You'll like this. Um, I work with a guy um, at work uh, who's a lovely guy, uh, and he, he also happens to be um, dating my um, wife's um, stepsister. Right, yeah. Right, so there's, there's that to contend with as well. Um, and he, he's a nice guy, but he's one of these people who... Bit of a know it all, uh, and because I, I'm, I'm quite a, I'm quite a sports person for Netflix. I'm a big fan of Netflix. Uh, I think it's great. But the thing I always say to people about Netflix is, don't get it to watch certain movies. Get it to watch movies. Don't expect to be able to sit down with Netflix and go, I want to watch this movie. Search for it because that's not how it works. It's I want to watch a comedy, comedies, plump, and go for it. So anyway. So, with him, everything's a competition. So he's going on about Blinkbox and how Blinkbox is great and how the picture quality is so much better than uh, than Netflix. Which I thought, well, you know, fair enough, but Netflix picture quality is, is pretty decent. Yeah. And then, and then he says, right, and do you know what's great about it? I said, what? And he said, you can fit picture to screen. What do you mean? No, 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 no. Right? right. And he said, yeah, he said you can get rid of those stupid, annoying bars and fit it to screen. I'm like, hang on a minute. What? And he was explaining this because he'd watched Rush and was going about how great the picture was. I was like, so hang on a minute. You stretched the picture so it would fill your entire screen. Like, yeah. And, so you, and you think that the picture looked better doing that? He's like, well, yeah, because you could see it all on the screen. I, I can't say you're fucking joking now. You fucked with the aspect ratio of a film and you thought that it looked better by you stretching out the picture and making people look weird. Yeah, it looked loads better. Yeah, that's fucking gross. I said, I said, ah, oh, you can't fuck with the aspect ratio. Oh, they don't mean that. Everything, you know, why should, why should I pay for a movie and just have it in the middle of the screen and have these two black bars? And at that point, I was like... I, I can't believe a person's actually saying this. Yeah, I mean, it, people, I don't know. Because that's the that's the film. That's like that's like getting a picture and going, oh, it's not big enough, and just pulling it so it goes bigger. The best the best example of showing why that's a problem is um, Argento's Deep Red. There's mm-hmm. there's the four free version of that. There's there's a scene where um, David Hemmings and the the um his friend are chatting and they're kind of yeah. there's like a statue in between them. statue in between them yeah. and in the four free version literally you can't see them yeah uh, just in statue yeah yeah and you just see talking I, I, over the statue I, I I've seen that yeah yeah um, but it's I, he's going about the fact that I'm saying you know but you can't fuck about with aspect ratios they're there for a reason you have certain 
you have different tank specimen ratio, and then so oh, no, that's just fucking only people who give a shit about that is the director who made it. Like, no, you are so wrong. It's basically saying that that you stretch everything to fit the screen is is just is like it's basically like saying that you want to take a giant dump on every film you watch. Pretty much. So that is as that literally is as bad as somebody who puts on a CD and goes, oh, I can't hear the bass in this, so turns their bass up as as loud as it'll go, and goes, now I can hear the bass, it's better like that. Mm. It is just retarded. Yeah. And I, I, ended up, I ended up having to stop myself, because I, I, I could feel myself just getting angrier and angrier. And at the time I thought, fucking hell, if Ian had been here to hear the words, oh, not aspect ratio. He, 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 I think the, the the bit that I think that got him was the fact that he didn't know what aspect ratio was, and he doesn't like that somebody else knows something that he doesn't. Sure. No, I mean it's and and, and he and and I thought if Ian had heard this, he would he would literally be in full fucking Drexel True Romance pose, double fist punching him in the face <laughs> by now. It was ah, oh, it was it was a horrible. Moment. I would have been fucking pissed off. I was, I was, I was angry, and I had to really kind of keep my cool a little bit because I thought I look like the only person in this room that cares about this. Yeah, it's so wrong. Yeah, it's just the fact that I'm only ever the per- the only person in the room who cares as well. But um, yeah, no, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So on on that note, on that happy note, um, well, next week we're going to be uh, doing uh, the Lego Movie, which um, everyone loves. Uh, yeah, getting a little bit worried about that. Yeah, um, quite. Um, I'm really, really looking for. I'm really fucking looking forward to it. But um, I am as well. But I'm a little bit. I, I, I need people to. I, 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 I hate to say it, but I just need people to calm down a little bit, at least until I've seen it. But <laughs> you know, um, and, um, so we'll have that. We'll also have some one old, one new. Uh, I'm sure we'll have the uh, the first part of our next marathon once we think of something to do. And uh yeah, that's it. Doing the monkey at gmail.com at Ian Loring at Dudefoss at Doing the Monkey. Um my allotted time is up and I need to look after the kid. Cool. Bye. Bye. <laughs>